0: On this episode of The Popcorn Diet, we're headed to Vegas to steal $200 million. And the only thing in our way is a horde of zombies and terrible storytelling. That's right. We're talking army of the dead. Get your popcorn ready.
1: We are putting together a crew for a job. Yeah, what does it pay? Two million dollars for one day's work. I'm in. You don't want to know the risks. I bet it has something to do with a helicopter. Yeah.
0: Why would I want to know the risks? I'm in. Welcome, all you good movie buddies, to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williams, and your very best good movie buddy. And joining us, as usual, is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how are
1: you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It's a, good. It's another week of movies being in the movie theaters. Yes, so how can, you, can, how can you be mad about that? Dude, I'm just
0: happy every weekend now. I'm just like, all right, what's next? We, what, what else can we go see? We actually went out of our way this time. I think this is the second Netflix movie that we decided we wanted to see in theaters rather than Netflix. The first being The Irishman, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly. That is true. Both of which turned out to be incredibly long uh, endeavors. I'll just say endeavors. Although the Irishman legitimately is good. Uh, So I can't compare the two beyond being very long. But this time we decided, even though it came out on Netflix, even though you can watch it right now, you can literally pause the podcast and listen to and and go watch this on Netflix right now. We decided we're going to support movie theaters we're going to go see Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead in the movie theater. And uh, it, 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 I mean, let's just talk about it. <laughs> Actually, you know, before we go negative, I do want to say, you know, one of the things uh, we've said this numerous times on the podcast before, one of the goals of the popcorn diet is to not bash on movies is to not revel in the things that we didn't like, but to celebrate the things that we love about movies, even if they're not perfect. Okay. But I think this one, David, I think you can agree. I think this one is, is testing that particular
1: philosophy, right? It's true. It's true. And I think there's also something to be said of expectations. And we've talked about on this podcast too, about how a movie Shouldn't have to fulfill your expectations. It shouldn't carry the burden of your expectations into whether or not it is a good movie. That being said, for me at least, Vegas, I'm in. Yep, Batista, I'm in. I'm in. Zack Snyder, I've been a pretty good fan of. I mean, I'm not a fanboy like like many of the people on the internet, but I I enjoy his movies typically. Yeah. And zombies, I'm in. Cool. And so there Heist. was a lot of things, heists. There was a lot of things that were checked going into this on paper that got me really excited for this movie. And and I'll I'll say it. Uh, it I don't know that it came anywhere near hitting those expectations. Which that would be fine but I think it also fell short of like my expectations of a good movie as well. So
0: yeah, it's there's that uh, too. It's tough, man. And we're going to talk a lot about that. This might be the episode that focuses on just, uh, you know, the stuff that didn't work more so than the stuff that didn't work. Maybe, maybe for the first time ever. Like, I just think that um there's a lot to talk about now that being said, I do want to start off with the good, you know, non try and and not, you know, we'll try and avoid the spoilers, but -hmm. let's non spoilers talk about the good stuff that we liked. And I think first and foremost, universally. um, The first like eight minutes of this movie are really good, like just really, really good. Um, Everything uh, that sets up the, the world that we're in, which is. Frankly, fairly uncommon for zombie movies. You oftentimes don't get to see the origin of the actual zombie outbreak, um, and the opening credits, which just kind of show. I mean, we already know it's a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, so it shows the downfall of Las Vegas set to <laughs> set to Richard Cheese, good old Richard Cheese doing "Viva Las Vegas." I had a good time with that opening sequence, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, know it was it was good. Um, reminded me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a Michael Bay version of it or, uh, or a, a, a little over the top Zack Snyder type of version of it, but it reminded me in some ways of like, you know, zombie land where in that one we get the narration from, um, Oh, what's his name? Jesse Eisenberg, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. But we get kind of, how did we get here? And this time we get it over, over music, which was, um, which was fun. We, yeah. also, we also get the ridiculousness of the opening scene. And that's the thing is like, while we could nitpick the opening scene and what causes this outbreak to happen, it's a zombie movie. right? <laughs> so I don't usually go into it expecting to have a perfect explanation of how things got going and whether it's realistic or not. We're talking about zombies right off the bat. It's not realistic. So right. I'm, I'm okay. Shutting my brain off to some degree and being like, well, that's ridiculous, but I'm here for it. It's fun. Yeah. Let's go. So it's
0: violence, like it's, it does they- a really interesting job of introducing the main players and characters and the way they montage it all. It's It's good stuff. You know, like, like you said, it's not something we normally see and I was fine with it. I was on board. I was like, all right, this is cool. This is what we're working with. Right. Um, I liked Batista. Like I thought Batista was great. I think that they maybe gave him a little bit too much. I think the script, let's just say, I think the script does him a disservice uh, in a lot of ways.
1: There was a lot of attempts at the emotional scenes with uh, Drax from Guardians 2, where he's sitting there, you know, having that emotional scene with, uh, what's her name? Um, The one with the antenna. Here's
0: here's the question, right? Which emotional scene, right? Because he's got emotional scenes with his daughter. Kate, he's got emotional scenes with Maria. He's got emotional, like, he's given these weirdly emotional scenes that just, Take you completely out of the the zombie narrative, you know, well, and and the zombie and it, nonsense.
1: And that in itself is is fine. But the length of them is is a little ridiculous. <laughs> like there's one scene where he's talking with his daughter next to the generator where it's like, I didn't put a clock on it, but I would I would venture to guess it's at least five to eight minutes. And, yeah. and they don't have not- that
0: kind of time.
1: That may not seem like a lot to people listening to this. Like a five-minute scene may not seem like a lot. But when it's literally just two characters going back and forth talking to each other in a zombie movie where, you know, it's a heist, there's a time urgency to it. Yeah. It feels like a long time to be checked out of the fact that there's zombies everywhere, that they're against the clock of a nuclear bomb. Like, right it feels like it drags on forever. And I think it happens more than once that you're like, listen, like I get it. Like, I'm glad we're, 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 we're dealing with this. We're dealing with our emotions, having this conversation, but like, (laughs) we got to get going here. Like, yes, we, it doesn't matter if we solve our problems here, if we all die. So let's, let's wrap it up and and get moving and talk about this later. Let's wrap it up a little bit. Exactly.
0: And you know, you know, I, I, again, I'll give this movie a lot of credit. Like the the budget for this movie was, I mean, relatively reasonable, you know, for for a blockbuster movie it was 70 to 90 million dollars ish. And I think the movie looks great for that kind of money. I think they pull off some good makeup. I think the effects are fairly good. You know, like that. You got to give credit where credits do where, you know, they they got a lot of bang for their buck, so to speak. With this kind of movie, with the action sequences that they put together and stuff like that, like the stunt performers, they do a good job of that, in my opinion. Um, And Zack Snyder, like we've talked about this, like he Zack Snyder clearly has. Like. (laughs) From a visual standpoint. Like, he is a unique filmmaker. He has a style. He is a stylistic filmmaker. And that's something that a lot of people can't say. You know, a lot of people who are working in the business, um, you know, you got not to call out directors like directly, but you have like Tim Story, who did the first two Fantastic Four movies with Jessica Alba. You have Brett Ratner, you know, who did... Uh, the freaking Hercules movie who did X-Men 3. Like you have a really, uh, well, there are a lot of unremarkable directors out in Hollywood right now who get job after job, who just do cookie cutter stuff. They don't have really anything that builds their style. And Zack Snyder has a style. You know, he, cool. he has a look that he envisions. Now, sometimes that style is really disorienting. Like he shoots a lot of scenes in Shallow Focus where there's some part of the screen is off focus or, or whatever, but like, I like the way that it looked, what it, what, like, what would you say in regards to to that kind of thing?
1: Well, let's say this too. Um, Maybe he saved some money by the fact that, and let's give him credit for this, but also say that this may be something that potentially held him back a little bit. Zack Snyder directed this movie. He wrote this movie. (laughs) He produced this movie he was the director of photography, aka you know, handled the cinematography of it. Yeah, he, he shot it. That's a lot of hats to wear. And you know, I think one of the great parts of any team, right, is you get different points of view, you hold each other accountable, you keep each other in check. And so, I mean, this very much was like if if people have issues with this movie, or if Zack Snyder isn't quite happy with how it turned out. Like, it has got no one to blame but himself because right. he did everything. So right. this was what Zack Snyder envisioned for this film. So um, as far as the look of it and that, you know, I was fine with that. Nothing, you know, it didn't feel quite immediately in my mind identifiable as Zack Snyder. Uh, maybe it's just because I've, the last 10 years I've been programmed to think like, superhero Zack Snyder. And so it's not nearly as dark as the, the, uh, the DC comic movies or, or even Watchmen, you know, things like that. So it's not quite as dark. I also think one of the things that you don't think about with this movie is what are we accustomed to with Las Vegas? We're accustomed to seeing the neon lights and seeing it presented in nighttime and we get zero nighttime in Vegas shots here. Yeah. Um, other than the opening scene. And so I think from that standpoint, while I enjoyed this, I feel like there was a lot of missed opportunities of like what doing something in Vegas like presents you with the opportunity for. Right. And so, uh, but there was nothing like bad about how it looked. I thought it looked great like for a zombie movie especially like and for the budget and everything like there's nothing that I would nitpick about it other than I felt like there was a lot of missed opportunities in in the visuals of this
0: yeah for sure and 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 you know kind of piggybacking off of that as well which is like there are some decent sequences there are some good parts to this movie you know we already talked about how the opening uh credits are awesome There's a couple of zombie sequences that are, I mean, by themselves, completely isolated without any story involved or without any, (laughs) uh, you know, any beginning of the sequence or end of the sequence. Like there is stuff in here that is like some all time zombie stuff, you know, like if you would if we had to put a list together of like best parts of zombie movies ranked. Like, I give credit where credit's due. And I'll say this again when we get into more spoilers, but, like, they put a zombie tiger in the trailer, and that zombie tiger paid off 100%. You get everything that you want out of that zombie tiger. And, and I got to give that credit, you know, because we see so many times where it's like, oh, you know, especially when it comes to monsters or, or things like that, where – Things don't get nearly as creative as you can make up in your head. Um, we already talked about how the opening credits are awesome. You know, there's there's a whole sequence that, um, we, again, without spoilers, involve the team trying to go through a, a like a, a long hallway or kitchen full of hibernating zombies. Mm-hmm. That is a great sequence. Like sure. for the for the most part. Really cool, badass sequence, you know. But it's like again, in in the wider scope of the film, like these things on, are only a smattering of cool ideas in a whole that just doesn't make any sense, you know. It's the same as true of characters as as well. Like, there's some really funny bits about how they uh, are recruiting characters and <laughs> the money they're offering. You know, the 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 amount fluctuates. And I thought that was really funny. Like that's a super interesting and amusing take on the typical, like we're getting a crew together. Everybody's getting their share kind of thing. Um, Tignataro, who was completely CGI'd into this movie, which again, I need to give credit for because they, they CGI'd out Chris Deella, uh, because, you know, he, I mean, without getting into it too deep, he got canceled. You know, he, he did some stuff. He said some stuff. Uh, that they just CGI'd his ass out of the movie, and they put Tignataro in, and I found her incredibly funny. Like I loved her parts. Um, I liked the character. I liked Dieter and Vanderho, and their their kind of character arc. You know, just isolated areas that I enjoyed. Was there anything that you enjoyed isolated? You know, uh, uh, yeah. Well, I, outside I def- of the wider story.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think this is. You know, there's the saying, the sum greater than its parts. I think this would be the parts were greater than its sum in the sense that, like, you can pick out a lot of individual pieces of this that are great on their own. Like, their concept and their execution are great on their own. But when you add it all together, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and, and makes and detracts from how good some of those individual things are. And so, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of what you said are that some of my most memorable pieces um, of, of the film. And I think there was a lot there. Like this, this wasn't far from being, you know, great movie. Like I enjoyed not going with like just your standard zombies of having like different types of zombies and, you know, some intelligence to them and even the idea of like, this was a, an area ruled by them. And so there's laws and like things that they function within, like, which is not your typical, like zombies are just mindless creatures just crawling around and that kind of stuff. And so um, I appreciated that. Um, I do think uh, Vanderhoe and who's the other one? You already said the name. Dieter. Dieter. Yeah. I, those were definitely my two favorite characters and most enjoyable characters from this and their back and forth and that, and I could have, I enjoyed all the time that we had with those two, but I do think like, you know, and we'll talk about it some more, but like a missed opportunity is just like one of the things that we've gotten from Batista through Guardians and some of the performances he's had recently is that he's really funny, like he can be really funny and like I don't think he was really given that opportunity at all like there was a couple moments but like they spent so much time on like him being a tortured and like sad person that like you right. don't really get to enjoy those aspects that makes Batista great like yes they definitely put on display his physical presence and and you know what a what a uh big duty is and and him being a badass out there but like outside of that like we didn't get to see the other aspects that we've grown to love as he's evolved as an actor and as he's really kind of pushed himself onto the scene as like I'm not gonna call him like the next rock but like you know obviously he's following a similar pattern and distinguishing himself as something more than just like the big bad henchman in a movie or the muscle. Brute, like there's more to him than that and i feel like this like avoided that aspect of it. it it stuck with the big brute and it went to the emotional stuff but it like forgot how funny he could be yeah they
0: which and again like i mean we saw in blade runner 2049 like batista shows up he plays this like you said, this big hulking brute with us who's very quiet and contemplative. And it's a and he's very good at playing that. And that is an interesting juxtaposition is having him play this this quiet demeanor in a a Batista body. Like this dude is a is a monster like he's just built like a genetic freak. And there is definitely like something interesting about that. There's something interesting about making this guy kind of like this silent warrior, you know, and that's a trope that we've seen in movies for years. You know, the the whole like I can kill you in six ways to Sunday, but like I don't I'm not some screaming, you know, Hulk, you know, I'm very quiet. I'm very, you know, you give Batista a small pair of glasses and boom, there it is. But it's in this movie. You know, that has funny jokes and, you know, zombie kings and opens with Richard Cheese's Viva Las Vegas, where everything that Batiste is trying to do is very good, but is is again is done a disservice by the complete miss or uh, uh, lack of of consistent tone throughout the movie, which is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to balance funny things versus scary things versus dramatic things. I respect that. I get it. Um, and again, like I think if I had to give Batista a review, like he gets a he gets a movie theater popcorn for me, you know, like I'm here. I'm interested in what Batista's doing, what Dave Batista does. I'm super interested in because you're right. He's not, and I don't think he wants to be the rock. I don't think he wants to be Hogan. He's a character actor, and that's something that's super interesting coming out of WWE, especially as a guy who, I mean, if I can be completely honest, like, I never cared about him as a wrestler. Like, he had was a very over the top. He didn't really have a a, a personality that stood out. You know, he's a world champion. Credit where credit's due. He's a big Vince McMahon guy. He had the look. But if you, gun to my head, told me, like, who's coming out of the, you know, ruthless aggression era as, as a successful transition out of wrestling, Batista would have been like not near the top of the list. And so like, again, shouts to Batista, but if we got to be honest, and we've kind of been sprinkling it around here, like this movie doesn't make any damn sense at all. Like, and it's difficult to, to without getting it into spoilers, but like every character is dumb and makes the dumbest possible decision to try and get what they want, you know. And, and we'll talk about this more, but I gotta I gotta give you the like the prompt of the daughter, and like I think the daughter might be one of the worst zombie movie characters ever. Like just what? really just bad, like do not care for this person.
1: Yeah. If I could equate her to something and it's immediately like it came into my mind before the movie was even over, like while I was watching it, but she's like the Kim Bauer for those of you that watched 24 like, and Kim to her credit towards the end of the series got maybe a little bit better, a little less whiny. Yeah. Made a little bit smarter decisions was a little bit more capable, but like in those first couple seasons, like she was just intolerable. Like I I didn't want her on the screen. I didn't want her screwing everything up for the characters that you enjoyed. And man, she like, I don't understand a single decision that was made by her, like her bitterness and anger towards her dad, Batista in this film just didn't make any, like it seemed way too angry um, for for what was done and considering the stakes that were at place with the zombies and everything else going on. And, you know, the decision that basically ends up costing, you know, lots of people lives, yeah, you know, was basically squarely on her. And it's like, man, she is just the worst. And, you know, we'll get into spoilers later, but like, yeah, she easily one of my least favorite movie characters I've come across in a while.
0: Just 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 and again, we're we're talking we're talking non-spoilers here. We're gonna get into spoilers in just a little bit, but like I think that's the worst part of this movie is that um the 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 plot holes and the decisions that are made and the this movie's complete disregard for physics or the, the, the time management or the way, like, just the world works, it was too big to overlook. And normally I can overlook certain things. Normally when you make a movie that has, you know, rules, it has a universe that you live in and, and things like that, normally if a movie follows those rules okay cool fine you know with with zombies whatever rules you want to make you know okay there's super smart zombies and there's super strong zombies and then there's regular stupid zombies cool i'm into it like uh, uh, you know whatever rules you want to make for your zombies you know the walking dead came up with the rule that even if you die not from zombies you'll turn into a zombie because it's something that is like Is in the air. It's something that's in everybody's genetics. It's every, everybody has it and it only surfaces if you die like that's an interesting rule and you have to be and you have to honor that if you're going to establish it. But with zombie movies like they still exist in the real world, where atomic bombs work like atomic bombs, and an hour works like an hour. And this there's just so much disconnected from this movie and I don't care what the excuse is because you have Zack Snyder coming out and it kind of pisses me off and the thing is is like I don't normally get angry about movies like it's something that I actually actively try to get people to avoid it's something that I have called out numerous times on this podcast like why are you mad at a movie? But what I really don't like is that this movie leaves so many things unanswered. It sets up so many things. It has so literally like a dozen different setups with no payoffs. And now in interviews, Zack Snyder, people are asking him about it. People are asking like, well, what about this? And Zack Snyder's like, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. That's kind of interesting. And I'm, that just pisses me off. Like, that's not how storytelling should work. You know, I'm all for cinematic universes and I'm all for Sequels and things like that. But, like, you shouldn't, you should be able to tell them a story and have beginning, middle, end, have things that are set up that are paid off in an isolated story, you know, and not leave all of these lingering questions that are frustrating and maybe they'll get answered in the third or fourth, you know, sequel, or maybe they'll get answered in some type of spinoff or whatever. And it just pisses me off. Like, it just frankly makes me very, very, very frustrated because that's not how setup and payoffs work. That's not how storytelling works. And that's, I think, you know, weirdly, a lot like Chris, some people have said about Christopher Nolan, which I don't necessarily agree about him, but I'll say like, the biggest thing Zack Snyder needs is somebody else to write his movies. like somebody else to put together the story that he's telling because Zack Snyder has carte blanche over whatever he does. And that is a privilege. Very few filmmakers get. And he is just clearly not up to the task of doing something that is satisfying. It's just frustrating. Like, I don't know what else to say.
1: Well, and here's the thing, and we'll, we'll move on to, to, to spoilers and and get into some of the specifics. But I mean, here's the thing is like, it's one thing if a director has like a very specific like passion project that they've been writing and mulling over and thinking for years and years and years about, you know, like I'm fresh off of listening to, you know, rewatchables on, on Goodfellas. And that was a, a project that, you know, Scorsese read the book, thought about immediately started writing. Like, so I get, that there's going to be the odd project that is like just such a passion project that like you just want to control a bunch of it but usually that comes out in the work and you know I don't get the sense in this that this was some like big like Zack Snyder's been dreaming of doing this for years and years and years and like he spent all this time and thought through all of it and like it just doesn't come out. It just feels like a haphazardly, a bunch of ideas that were thrown together. And and like you said, I think could have benefited a lot from writing. Uh, even if you don't shorten it, because I mean, this movie's long. It's, it's two and a half right hours. Two and a half hours. And we're talking about a zombie movie here. Like I can't think of a lot of other zombie movies that are two and a half hours. And- <laughs> you know, I think it suffers from that. Like it, it feels bloated at times. Like I talked about, like some of those emotional scenes seem four or five minutes longer than they need to be. Um, There's some unnecessary, uh, you know, sequences in there where it's like, okay, like, why did we need this and this and this, you know? And it's like, I even looked over to uh our buddy Dallas who saw it with us and said, like, why is this movie still going <laughs> at one point in it? And it's like, I think it just screams like no one involved in this movie felt like they could tell Zack Snyder what no. to do. Like and Netflix doesn't no do one- that.
0: Netflix doesn't do that anyways. And that's a gift and a curse because it's amazing when you get like, oh, sure, Marty Scorsese, we're going to give you $200 million to make your mob epic. But then it's like three and a half hours long and Robert De Niro looks goofy as shit kicking somebody. And it's like, maybe we should have had an additional producer and some notes, right?
1: Sure. It's and it'll be it'll be interesting too. Like, you know, Netflix is very young in being a studio that creates movies. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see as they evolve whether they become more like a traditional studio and become more involved in guiding what they invest their money in. Because I think right now, because like, you know, thus far it's been, let's get big names that attract people to do signups and, and watch this content. And right. and that's the thing, like even with this movie, like we we saw it pretty close to when it came out. Mm-hmm. about a week within a week of it coming out granted we didn't sign up for netflix but because of it but like it would be something that like had i not had netflix like knowing what netflix costs like i would have considered signing up just to watch this zach snyder vegas zombies batista like i said everything on paper yeah was something that was a draw and you know maybe that is part of it that like netflix doesn't care about like the quality like would it be great if this is a fantastic film that lasts the the length of time? Sure. But <laughs> we just want people to sign up for our service. Like, exactly. chances are, with movies, they're, they're not going to cancel Netflix right after if it's a bad movie. And they're not going to stay forever if it was a good movie. Like, they're going to do what they're going to do based off of, you know, whatever their buying behavior is after they watch it. And so for them it's just getting people to sign up and so maybe that contributes a little bit to their approach with their movies, but it'll be interesting to see as they evolve and you know become more of a foothold in the industry and and someone that's potentially making more of an effort to go after Oscars and cares more about like the quality of content and even if they move to some degree to you know caring a little bit about box office as well. Right. Uh, It'll be interesting to see whether they're approached, because it does feel like every project, at least with the big names that they've brought on, that they really do take a hands off. And it feels almost like the reason some of those filmmakers go to them is, one, they throw a t- crap ton of money at them. Right. But two, they let them do whatever they'd want that maybe other studios would not have. Exactly. Like, and I don't no- know.
0: There's no negative to to a bomb. You know, if if a studio makes a bomb and it makes and they spend one hundred million dollars and it only makes 20, they're like, we lost 80 million dollars on this movie. We've learned lessons on what not to do. Nobody's canceling their Netflix subscription over this movie. You know, there's almost no actual repercussions for this movie failing other than like, well. Maybe we won't invest in a sequel.
1: <laughs> well, and no one really even has the true concept of whether it is a bomb because you don't have that box office measurement, and right. no one really understands what is good or bad as far as streams. Other what's than what's a view, to other streams, and what's a view, and you know all that kind of stuff. Like you can kind of push bombs under the the rug, so to speak, because you know no one can really judge it on the normal terms that we usually judge whether a movie is a success or not other than yeah. the reviews that it get which i haven't checked it recently but like it mind-bogglingly when we saw it that night and looked up what the reviews were it was still like 71% on rotten tomatoes which was crazy to me yeah, but that's nuts i mean maybe we're movie starved you know like we said there's a lot
0: of there is a lot of like good shit in this movie on its own But like you just take a closer examination of it. It just is nonsense. Like it falls apart.
1: And it's still at 70 percent. So still at 70 percent.
0: Well, maybe Netflix isn't able to judge the success of this movie. Maybe maybe Box Office Mojo is not able to judge the success of this movie. But we are certainly able to judge the success of this movie when it comes to us, and we're going to do so with our popcorn rating. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn. Uh huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Now, if you've never listened to an episode before, first of all, welcome. Thanks for listening to this one. We rate movies a little bit differently. Instead of thumbs up or stars, we have a popcorn rating scale. Burnt popcorn means a movie is garbage. You absolutely should not waste your time on it. Stale popcorn means a movie is not great. If you are absolutely desperate and in a pinch Stale popcorn might do the trick for now, but otherwise avoid at all costs. Microwave popcorn means it's all right. It's fine. Your mileage may vary. For some people, microwave popcorn is very satisfying. For others, it is very disappointing. So microwave popcorn means middle of the road. Then we have movie theater popcorn, which means go see the movie in a movie theater. If you can, if you can do it safely, go see it on a big screen. Maybe not right away. Maybe take your time to go see it, but definitely invest the time and money into going to see it on a big screen. And then perfect popcorn means go out and see this movie on the biggest screen possible when, as soon as you can. And then if we're ever in the middle, we always like to just throw a soda in there as kind of our version of a half star. So David, I am very interested into what your popcorn rating is going to be for army of the
1: dead. You know, so I, I mulled over this a little bit because to your point, we have been desperate for movies and just the idea of getting to go and see this movie in the theater and the spectacle of it all and going through that, you know, I still very much enjoyed my evening Yes, going with you in Dallas to see it at, at Alamo, you know, got some mozzarella sticks, got Hell myself yeah. a soda, you know, ate some popcorn, enjoyed myself very much. But at the same time, like, man, like it's, it just, it's, it's not something like, I almost want to revisit it to be like, was this as bad as I remember it? Because I feel like it was pretty bad. And then there's another part of me that it's like, it's two and a half hours. Like, even if it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, it's still bad. So I'm not, I'm not going to go too harsh on it, but I am going to go stale popcorn you know to me a stale popcorn movie is one that like you know it's like the in-flight entertainment you know if there's <laughs> f- if there's five options you got to pick one and and maybe none of them are good and and maybe you watch it in that situation it's on netflix so a lot of people listening to this have netflix you know if you're pretty much caught up on the catalog and you don't want to go rewatch you know Indiana Jones for a 20th time or, or something like that, or rewatch episodes of community or, or something like that, then sure. Like it's something new for you to watch. Like you are probably, I mean, it's two and a half hours, buckle up. It's not <laughs> put on a couple <laughs> episodes of TV, but I'm going to have to go steal popcorn. I considered giving it a soda, but you know what? I think calling it still popcorn is, is what it deserves.
0: Yeah. I, I, struggled with this quite a bit because I am, you know, on many things, a a pessimist. But when it comes to movies, I am an internal optimist. I am somebody who is just like, I love movies, man. I, I walk out of a movie and I love it. But even I have to give this stale popcorn. I was really trying to figure out if I wanted to give this stale popcorn or if I wanted to give it my first ever official burnt popcorn and a soda. But as you said, and as we said, like there are things to like here. There are things that people will grasp onto as memorable. There are some legitimately all time great zombie movie scenes in this movie. Um, And I don't I don't know that I can ever completely discount that even if the movie around it is a total mess, there are some very charming performances. There are some very memorable performances, and then there are just some really, really, really egregious plot holes and bad, like, legitimately poor storytelling on display. So, I'm with you. I am going to give it stale popcorn as well, uh, and I'm just—we're just, just going to put a pin in it. We're going to put a bullet in the skull and say that's what it is, two scale stale popcorns for Army of the Dead. Uh, We got to talk spoilers. We got to get a little bit more into spoilers. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick little break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com thepopcorndiet and consider becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, David. I, as far as spoiler conversations go, I wanted to build a little bit more of a guide around this. I can't believe I am going to do this, but I am going to shout out a screen rant video that did like the army of the dead pitch hey. meeting. I can't believe it. I hate screen rant. I, I just don't like the way that they do clickbait articles. They, uh, I just don't care for the their form of journalism. That being said, the guy who does the uh, the pitch meetings for the, a certain movie that comes out, he did a pitch meeting video for Army of the Dead. And and I watched this after I filled this out. I know some people might not believe that. and And that's fine but I watched it literally before we popped on the podcast. I already had my outline built out and it asks all of the same questions and it calls it out. And I got to give credit where credit's to. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I came up with 10 questions. All right. And I just want to break it down for you. The first one is, is I think maybe the most positive one, which is like, did Zack Snyder just want to make an aliens ripoff with zombies? Uh, and the reason I ask that is because there are, a ton of references to aliens and straight up lifts from aliens in this movie. Um, Chambers, who is the character who is given the best zombie sequence uh, in the entire movie, uh, which we'll talk about again logistically in a little bit, but she is Vasquez, all the way down to having the bandana, all the way down mm-hmm. to blowing, getting herself blown up. Like that's straight from aliens. Tignataro who plays the helicopter pilot, she's Bishop, even to the point of when they I oh stay here, I got to go get to my daughter and they come up, the helicopter's gone and then shows up again. That is beat for beat what happens at the end of Aliens. There's directly a line that says like you don't see them you don't see each other, you don't see them screwing each other over. And hmm. Martin, the security guy is basically Burke. He's the the shady son of a bitch who has a different mission. So what do you think about that? Do you think that Zack Snyder just wanted to make an aliens rip off with zombies?
1: You know, it very well could be. I mean, that's the hard part that I would find difficult as a filmmaker. And it's even difficult as a, a podcaster, when you listen to a lot of other movie podcasts to not have like, what others do like seep into your subconscious and and end up coming out even though you don't set out to replicate that you end up doing that in some way you know in, in a lot of ways and so i don't know i could see it go either other either way based off of the ridiculous interviews zack snyder's been giving as part of this i'm sure he'd answer it with maybe like,
0: oh oh certainly i love that movie it's an influence and that's the thing right there is a difference between influences and like direct <laughs> rip-offs you know like sure. like direct rip-offs yeah i don't yeah. know so second question All right. since this is mostly zack snyder's movie do you think zack snyder has ever actually been to las vegas well first by watching foremost- by watching this movie alone do you think he's ever actually been to las vegas
1: well, well. let's say this. First and foremost, as you know, but maybe not people listening to the podcast know, like I'm about as big of a Vegas person as it comes and not for all the traditional reasons, but like actually knowing Vegas, like I could probably guide you through like every inch of Vegas with my eyes closed. Yes. There's definitely a feel of they don't understand <laughs> vegas in a lot of ways and and where does this come out so you know let's geography. get geography first and foremost you could argue that maybe it's not that they don't understand the geography of the strip uh-huh maybe they just maybe it's all contributed to something that we're going to talk about here in a second which is they don't understand the concept of time like because listen, when you, that's
0: another question, by the way,
1: when you walk from one casino to the next, you do not walk there in five minutes. You do not walk there in like 10 minutes, like to be inside of one casino and get to the inside of another casino. And especially the distance that they're showing. Um, I would equate. So we have the main two casinos that we go into are the Olympus Right, which is like the zombie stronghold, base camp in essence. Yep, and we have uh, the Bly, the Bly, which is Tanaka's. uh, That's the actual.
0: That's the actual heist casino.
1: Exactly, and based off of what we see, I would equate it to basically one is Caesar's Palace, and the other like, and I'm, I'm doing this off of like geography. So people that have been to Vegas, like I would equate them to one is Caesar's palace. And one is like, I mean, based off of what they show, it's like the hard rock, which is now the, the Virgin, which isn't even on the strip. Like we, it looks like we go over multiple streets to another, which again, draws in point that like there's not like three rows of casinos on the strip. There's one half of the strip and the other half of the strip, which they get right on a lot of the vertical scenes. But when we do that pan over from one to the other, it's like there's a middle lane of casinos. So like there's that aspect that's an issue in there. I mean, even
0: even if we wanted to assume that they were both on the strip, it's like the Bly is where like between like New York, New York and Aria and, and Olympus is over in the Caesars well, area, and, and actually, I
1: should I should say, I actually know where the Olympus is because it was basically where no one's going to know this casino, but or it's not even a casino; it's just a resort, and you can do timeshares there. But it's a uh, Polo Towers, which okay. is Polo Towers is basically directly across from. Um, from like the Monte Carlo in that it's in that area for you or, well, not even the Monte Carlo anymore. It's park MGM. MGM, So it's, it's, it's in that area. And the, the Bly would be more like, you know, all the way down to like the Mirage in that area type of thing. So, Yeah. yeah, we're just, you know, geography doesn't work in here. The getting from one place to another, doesn't work. Um, and, they, say and, like, I think,
0: they say like we can't walk down the street, right? Which would if they could just walk down the street, they could get from hotel to hotel very quickly. Part of what makes traversing Vegas so daunting is that you got to go inside and out hotels. You got to go yeah. up, up, up bridges and down bridges and stuff like that. Yep. But they actually say like we can't go on the streets. We have to go through the hotels. And then when they do like you mean to tell me The best way to enter in the hotel is through the kitchen that's filled with zombies hibernating. You couldn't go around the back like you couldn't go down Dean Martin Drive. I don't think the zombie
1: king gives a shit about Dean Martin Drive. Well, and and, and I mean, to that point, too, like. There's just a lot of. Like, how many zombies are there? I mean, obviously, it's Vegas. There could have been. Literally a million or more, sure. Because there can be a million or more people right on the the main strip. So I get that there could be a lot in there, but like casinos, to quote one of our favorites, Ocean's Elevens, are 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 labyrinths to keep people in. There are tons of different ways you can kind of navigate through casinos, right? And so it's hard to believe that you have to take this one path that takes you through. A massive, especially because two minutes later, they're past all of those and they're into the open where there's not any. And it right. seems like it takes them out to a hallway. So it's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I'm buying this. and I so, don't know that I'm buying it either. <laughs> but that, I mean, I re- I think a lot of like the issues with have they been to Vegas really get into our next one. So if you want to do the next question, the next question is, does this movie understand the basic concepts
0: of time and physics? Right. Like, for example, the opening of the movie, we see. I mean, we can't we I'm not even going to touch what we see in the opening scene, which is we see UFOs in the sky, like literally two flashes of light that zoom away that are never explained again. We see a zombie caravan uh, or a caravan of military vehicles that are carrying precious cargo. We see a a gigantic armed army transport get completely demolished by like a 72 Oldsmobile. Mm -hmm. And then the zombie escapes, the main alpha zombie escapes, which again, as I said, is a pretty unique thing for a zombie movie. You don't often see patient zero in zombie movies, right? Sure. But how much time do you think uh, is passes between when that zombie actually escapes to to when the heist happens because I have no idea it could be months. It could be years. I have no idea. Well,
1: I mean, to me, what I was thinking doesn't track with like stuff later in the movie, because like we're led to believe that Batista and his daughter have like this time of separation where she can build up this extreme hatred towards him and you know, all this other stuff. But to me, like, okay we're gonna say the uh, the couple in the Oldsmobile didn't make it yeah um, their cakes. So we've got roughly like six or about eight military people I would say that sure. were killed by the zombie that we would in essence believe become zombies. So we've got nine people okay running running down to the strip and you are know, running down to Vegas which, We'll one side note on the last question. And I don't know if this is in, in later. I don't think it is, but if you've been to Vegas, okay. The strip is in basically the center of, of the city of Las Vegas, right? It's basically the middle point you have to the West. You have the red rocks area that they call it to the South towards Arizona. You have Henderson and a couple (laughs) of other areas. Uh, You have. To the east, I can't remember. That's where like the Lake Las Vegas is, and then to the north, you have places that people don't like to go. Um, <laughs> and there is—I mean, it's a sprawling. It's not as big as like Phoenix, but like it's a big city.
0: It's a big city. It has it has actual business buildings. It's not just hotels. It has suburbs. It has
1: miles and miles of suburbs and freeways and things like that. And. When this accident happens, we have a couple that it appears just got married, but is driving into Vegas because they take a picture of a sign that is a state sign that says, welcome to Las Vegas, Yeah, they- which Las Vegas is not a state. And there's no sign, green sign that says, welcome to Las Vegas. <laughs> anyways, we're, we're getting into nitpicks, which I understand. But anyways, they are, we are led to believe they are, Leaving, I guess they're leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, I guess. Um, and these trucks are coming into Las Vegas. But the problem is, is geography-wise, they're on the wrong side. They're supposedly coming from Area 51, but they're really coming from basically the Arizona border side because we're on that cliff looking down. Right. And I can tell by where the position of the buildings are. And again, that's all nitpicks, whatever. But at the same time. When you look at it, it's an entire big city that is more than just the strip like it would be accurately today if we yeah. were to look down. But when we flash forward after the first opening eight minutes, you have the, the circle of containers and then just like wasteland. It's like just desert. Desert. And it's, it's like- not
0: even wasteland. It's not even like decrepit buildings. It's literally like there's a lone desert road that
1: leads to Las Vegas there's no and that there's nothing outside of those containers and it's like i don't understand like like i get it like you could have like whatever like some of it was demolished and like all the fighting and that kind of stuff sure but like there should still be like in the not too far distance like abandoned homes and abandoned cities like there is we don't even see fremont street and like old strip and stuff like that and it's like it's almost like Zack Snyder ran out of CGI money and he couldn't CGI all the other (laughs) population and houses that are around there. Right. Because we're led to believe that like, this is the only place zombies exist. Like they haven't spread outside of the Las Vegas strip. And so exactly.
0: And, and like, again, you know, This wouldn't be a major issue if they didn't go out of their way to show us a digital map of how the containers are put around. Like, this is the zombie zone. Like, they go out of their way to make this rule that just then doesn't make any sense,
1: right? Well, and that gets into the time thing, too. Right. Like, we get told that basically there's whatever, three days initially until they're going to nuke because they're going to do it on the 4th of July. Right. And then... They get in there and they start doing the job, and they decide, oh, maybe it's not a good idea to do it on a national holiday. We're going to, you know, slaughter all these people, right? Or zombies. So we're going to move it up a full day. So we have a very specific clock that yes. we're dealing with. They
0: say we it this uh, this bomb is launching in an hour.
1: Yeah. So we get a very specific time, and my thing is is like. I'm fine with the we thought we had more time, but now we don't have more time thing. Like that right. stick is fine with me. Right. But like if you're gonna still try to pack like four hours worth of stuff right into the remaining movie, why not say like we just went from a day in four hours to four hours? Like, what would be so wrong about that? Like right. four hours seems like okay, we better hurry the F up to get out of here because four hours (laughs) is not a long amount of time. Yeah. But they choose an hour, which immediately we had more than an hour left of the movie at that point.
0: (laughs) And nobody acts with urgency to your point about like, there is not one, not two, but maybe three, like deep, like we're going to have deep relationship conversations. Well, and it, nobody's acting with urgency. And then they repeatedly continue referencing it. They're like, OK, how can ca- we have an hour? Can you open this safe? And he's like, yeah, 30 minutes. Then he opens it and they're like, how much time do we have left? They're like 20 minutes, which would not be enough time to grab literally two tons worth of cash. It's 200 million dollars in one hundred dollar bills. That's two tons worth of cash. They're like, OK, we have 20 minutes to move two tons worth of cash to the top of the roof into a helicopter that clearly wouldn't carry two tons of cash. And then they get in the helicopter and I'm not even talking about all the shit that goes wrong. And he's like, I got to go save my daughter, uh, you know, a mile down the strip. I got to land us on that roof and I got to somehow go into this hotel and find her and the exact floor that she's on. And we have nine minutes. And there's just no conceivable way. Like, The time is just so distracting because there's no conceivable way they could do
1: any of that stuff in the time in which they are sane. Well, and worse than him going over there is her going over there, which we established. The two casinos, we'll say being generous, are a half mile apart. But she is in the bowels of the the hotel. Right. In the vault. Is going up through a ladder. Has to navigate dodging zombies because... All she's got is a pistol. So she's trying not to be seen. So she's not going to be running over to there. Right. We we even established that she has to hide in a car while like the wave of zombies comes out. Then she has to go into a casino that at a minimum has 50 floors and has to search them one by one. Because, I mean, you can't just assume like they're on one of the top levels. But she does seemingly find them immediately. She does seemingly a guess at least within one floor because it does seem like she searches one floor and then goes to another, or maybe it's just one big floor that she's searching, right but regardless, all of that right there, having been to Vegas, especially because the elevators wouldn't be working in that casino, like all of that would take at a minimum an hour yes of what she did, and she leaves when they have thirty minutes left <laughs> and and so it's like. Again, like the frustrating part about this is the same thing that's frustrating about the movie in general is none of that had to be an issue. Like you got to define how much time was left. If you would have said four hours, we could have done everything that was in there. And while it still would have been a little unbelievable that you could pack that all in, it would have at least been a reasonable amount of time because it's more time than the movie itself. Exactly. And (laughs) And yet... We're led to believe that all this stuff can happen. And again, there's been plenty of movies. We talked about Fast and the Furious when there's the nine mile runway that takes 30 minutes to drive down. Like it's not our first example of people ignoring the clock they created themselves. But to your point, they continue to refer to it over and over again. Over and over. And it's impossible to not have it in your head as you're watching this and being like, there's no way this is all happening in this amount of time. They just keep reminding you of it,
0: which is the worst. It's like shooting yourself in the foot. All right. Next question. Very quick question. Do you think anybody, do you think Zack Snyder knows how atomic bombs work? And I asked that because atomic bombs give off enough radiation to kill someone in hours. Like they give off enough radiation that if you, even if you're not there for the blast, right, let's say you survive the blast, you're in a bunker, you open that door, you're irradiated and you're dead in hours. And that doesn't dissipate for, you know, three, two, three, four weeks, right? And it and not only that, but atomic bombs turn everything to gravel. And mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of this movie, just when you think this movie's over, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Vanderhoe was in the safe, so he survived. So it shows him pulling himself out of the safe pulling himself into this rubble that just does not look like a nuke fell. It just looks like it was an earthquake completely unaffected by radiation at all hauling money to some abandoned house where he happens to find a gassed up car drives to Utah. And like, there's just no, and and we're going to talk about like zombie rules. This is actually going to go into the zombie rules question, which is next. But like, that's not how atomic bombs work. Like Vanderhoe's dead. I don't care who uh, I don't care what you're talking about. Well, and I can ignore the fact
1: that no one would ever nuke Vegas because the 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 effect of Vegas right would reach LA and Phoenix yes, because the fallout the fallout zone. So especially Vegas, but also Phoenix, two of the most populated uh cities in the country, they're not going to nuke it when you literally have it contained inside of a container and could just drop Moab bomb after Moab bomb on top of it over and over again. But I'm going to quickly slide past that to the last thing that you said about Vanderhoe emerging. Not only does he emerge in what we're supposed to believe is like a nuclear rubble, but we already just established in our last point that they set it up that there is a wasteland around Vegas. Yes. And we're supposed to believe that he's dragging basically... Four duffel bags that I would argue probably at least weigh 200 pounds each. Yes. If they're filled to the brim. Yes. And he drags that, which based off of what we've seen from a visual, he's going to drag that at least 20 miles to whatever the nearest (laughs) abandoned gas. To that
0: random ass house he finds.
1: Yes. Which because, again, we have to get outside of what would be affected by the nuke, which right. would be more than just the container spot. So he's going to be dragging it for a long ways. So anyways. it's it's nuts. And then leading into
0: question number six, which is does, or question number five, which is, does this movie res- is respect its own zombie rules? After all this happens, he gets the car in Utah. He drives to an airport, which we what did we assume it was in St. George,
1: Utah? Like, that's, that would be because he crosses into Utah because we see the sign. Right. And the most realistic place that he would cross would be St. George because you can take, uh, I can't remember which freeway it is, but the very first city that you're going to hit leaving Nevada into right. Utah that would have an airport is St. George. Right. And that's, it's roughly, I just did this drive not too long ago. It's roughly about, I think, two, two and a half hours sure. there. So, so then he buys a plane
0: and flies to Mexico City. And then just as they're about to descend into Mexico City, he starts getting woozy. I'm feeling woozy here. He goes into the bathroom. Oh, it turns out he got bit by Zeus, the alpha zombie, when he fought Zeus, the alpha zombie, before he got shoved into the, into the safe. I mean, it, it takes him minimum 12 to 36 hours surviving an atomic blast to get to where he's at, right? Earlier in the movie, we see Cummings, you know, uh, played by our boy Theo Rossi, get bit by the alpha zombie, and he turns into a zombie in less than an hour. And I'm just like, does this movie follow its own zombie rules? Like, it doesn't. It clearly doesn't. Just to like, why does one alpha bite take an hour? Why does Vanderhoe's alpha bite take, you know, 12 to 36 hours just so we can, oh, do this cool Stinger ending, right? Like, it's just annoying. And not only that, and, and, and we'll move on. The worst thing about zombie movies, the most terrifying thing about zombie movies is that they are an unstoppable horde that will overrun the earth, right? That's the most terrifying thing about any zombie movie is it's hard to find safety in the zombie apocalypse. And yet this movie literally starts with the zombie apocalypse effectively being defeated Literally nowhere else in the world has zombies, at least that we are aware of. Seemingly, they've all been contained in Las Vegas. That's a freaking win. Like it literally starts with a world where most other zombie movies would like pray that they could get to. And every single issue is something that is manufactured. And that leads me to question number six, which is, does everyone choose the dumbest possible way to do things in this movie? Uh, I don't even think we have the time to get all into the plot and stuff like that. I, I want to, f- I want to talk about like, Martin is the millionaire Bly's head of security and Bly's actual goal is not the money. Bly's actual goal is to get zombie blood uh, so that they can start making weapons for the military. We see Bly with military guys. Right. And so They go through this whole freaking thing where as everybody's trying to, you know, clean out the, the safe Martin and the coyote are back out to where they started, lure out this zombie queen, capture her, cut her head off and then go back to the casino. And it's like, one, why didn't you do that immediately when the zombie queen first showed up Two, why does that make the heist necessary at all? Why couldn't you just hire guys to do this mission three, it is established that they go back to the place where they started because the zombies are licking up the blood of the first person that gets taken. Why doesn't Martin just turn and go right back through the doors of the wall that they walk through? Like it is nonsensical. There are plots plot decisions in this movie that are completely nonsensical. Like why, why do they need a safe cracker for your own safe? It's
1: your own safe. Why do we need a safe cracker? What are we doing? I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, you have that you have, we already, we're not going to go back to Kim Bauer, AKA Kate, the daughter She
0: sucks. She gets everyone killed. Like she literally is like, you're either going to take me in because I'm searching for this mom or you're not going to take me. I'm going to go in anyways. And it's like, why don't you just stay and stay with the mom's kids? And then your dad, who you're very angry with can succeed in the mission and give them money. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. You've got, You know, Tanaka, who you already mentioned, why, why dupe a group into going in to have someone, one single person, you send one single person in there to do a side mission? Like, none of that makes any sense. Literally,
0: the coyote was in on it. Martin was in on it. They didn't need anybody. They could have grabbed somebody to offer as a sacrifice, get the zombie queen and GTFO. They literally didn't need anybody else yeah it's absolutely. crazy
1: not only and, that go ahead well and you avoid any kind of conflict with zeus because you peace out of there and even though if he gets pissed I right mean, you know and and i don't think they even had the concept that that was the queen i think that was just the first zombie that he got kind of isolated that he could chop off their head and <laughs> the other thing is is they he says like Do you know how much like these go on the black market? That also makes us believe that like, this has been going on for a long time, that there's a black market for zombies at this point. And so it's just ridiculous. And then it's, it's it's,
0: it makes me angry. And then when the crew, and this leads us to question number seven, which is why do they need specific members of the crew? Why do you need a safe cracker to crack the safe of your own casino? Just give us, the combination right and not only that but you're you mean to tell me that this is a a work of art of a safe right this is an incredible safe that was created and this safe cracker is so good that he doesn't need any tools he just puts his ear up against the door
1: well well don't worry we're gonna get a prequel that's supposedly about the safe cracker so maybe that's where we establish that he's like otherworldly as far as uh cracking safes but no i i had to wonder that too i'm like it's not like we're breaking into someone else's like, I could have believed this if it was the whole like Terry Benedict situation. And like Bly was like another casino owner that was like, listen, like my rival casino. Right. Vaults was chock full. Like I got my money out, but I know for a fact that they didn't it's in there, you know, like that would have made sense to me. But like, Like you said, this is literally. And so like, what are the other reasons why maybe he couldn't do it? The power's off. Well, they solve that and turn the power on, which another little nitpick. Apparently we can power an entire Las Vegas casino with about 30 gallons of gas in a single (laughs) generator because everything comes on. The elevators work. Every light works. All the music works everything works on one single generator that only took about 30 gallons of gas right. to be able to fill up.
0: It's insane. It's insane. Why do we need the safecracker? cracker? Why do we need this entire crew? Why? And, and even then, if we're building the crew, they get Guzman and his like two like sidekicks. And the only thing he's shown to be is like the Logan Paul of zombie killing. Like you couldn't get two more Marines it, yeah. Why get like,
1: this YouTube asshole? I think they tried to like the, the only thing I'll pass off is that is Batista was trying to keep the split on the cheap. So I think he probably said like, I can throw whatever he did 50,000 at Guzman and he'll do it. Whereas like a Marine may be smarter than that and be like, I want a bigger take. So he's, he's looking for what's cheap. Cause that was one of the little okay. jokes about how each person they picked was a little less. That was a good but joke. I like that at joke. the, at, at the same time, like, you know, it may also be like Guzman's out there killing zombies, which I wanted to be like, where is he killing these zombies? Like he's doing these like YouTube zombie kills of the week in essence from to take from zombie land. Right. But like, where is he doing this? Because it looks like the back alleys of a city but there's no other city other than the strip and the strip doesn't have back alleys like what they're showing. Right. It's like he has he's so, in a back alley of like an apartment complex. Like is he sneaking into the strip just to go and kill like a couple random three zombies for YouTube and then come back out. But he seems to have never met the coyote, which seems to be the only person that knows how to get people in to the strip. So like all of this is like, I don't understand what we're doing here. Right. I don't I don't get the world that we're living in,
0: which leads me to my next question, which is like, how many unanswered like world questions or universe questions did the movie leave us hanging with? Let me tell you some, David. I already mentioned the UFOs at the beginning of the movie. Like literally there are two lights in the sky that zoom away and they do all this alien talk and they there's no resolution to it. Again, we're going to set this thing up. We're going to ask these questions and they're not going to answer them. Right. Right. You have. Zombies can have babies now, apparently, so that means zombies can have sex now, which means zombies can create create. bodily fluids and like, so then why do they need to bite people? Like, what's that all about? Why do zombies have blue blood? The alpha has blue blood. The 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 baby zombie has blue blood and the cyborg zombie has blue blood. Oh, by the way, David. There are zombie cyborgs in this movie. Like I thought I was, I thought I was seeing things, but there is very clearly, and we looked at this together, a zombie who gets shot in the face that has a Terminator metal skull and glowing blue eyes. Doesn't, nobody answers anything about it. People are, people ask Zack Snyder, like, what's up with the zombie, you know, cyborg is, Oh, maybe they're not all zombies. Maybe they're cyborgs in there. Like, that's bullshit. You can't just put that in. You have to be able to explain these things, you know? Like, and then, of course, the time loop. Like, they mentioned this time loop once. It's really out of place. And yet there are, like, little pieces of evidence. I don't, we're dealing with aliens. We're dealing with robots, zombies. We're dealing with time loops. There's. It's just too much happening, and none of it is answered.
1: Well, and the thing is, you would think in a two and a half hour movie, you could explain a lot of these things. But instead, we spend a bunch of time listening to Batista and his daughter have a rational conversation about why she was so mad at him. Just because Lord knows that if I killed my wife who turned into a zombie and then had to go kill thousands of zombies and rescue people from Vegas that I might be slightly detached after that process. Yet you're going to hate me. Like I killed your dog or something like that's the source of all this animosity, this bitter hatred, like, in essence, I hope you die type of stuff. Like it's ridiculous. And it's like, had we allotted some more time to maybe exploring some of these, like I'm perfectly fine with movies that don't answer all your questions and like tease something. But this does so many different things that you're like, this isn't insignificant. Like this isn't like, oh, we'll just throw this in there and maybe, you know, people will catch it. It'll be kind of an Easter egg. It'll lead to some, you know, sparking some conversation. None of it makes any sense. So there's it's no like-
0: context. Like if you show Captain America's shield and Iron Man, there is a historical context of, of 70 years worth of comic books where people could say like, oh, that's Captain America's shield. That doesn't happen when you're making your brand new zombie movie. You can't just throw random shit in there with no context. It just confuses people. It's it's very, very annoying. And they do this throughout the entire movie, which is how which is my my last question before we wrap up and we have one more wrap up question. It's like, how many cool things do they introduce and they don't pay off? Right. We already talked about all of these things. We talked about aliens. We talked about robots. We talked about zombies and time loops and all those types of things. The one thing that they pay off in this movie is the zombie tiger. When that thing tears Martin apart. It's like zombie, the revenant bear attack, and it's everything that you want. And that's like literally so rare in a movie where they will give you something that is so cool, like the concept of zombie, zombie, tiger and actually show it tearing somebody apart, especially somebody who you love to hate. So like credit where credit's due. But like they just talk about these cool things that never happen when they first walk into Las Vegas, all the zombies are dried up and dead. And they talk about how that's what happened. Like they dried up, they basically died again. But then they say like, you should see what happens when it rains. Cause then they start moving around again. That's such a cool concept. And they never come back to the idea of like these dried up zombies getting wet and becoming a
1: threat. It's such a missed opportunity. Freaking. Well, and <laughs> even if, even if you didn't want to do like a, a rain scene where it happens, like. Maybe instead of when they're going through the the uh, the hallway, instead of introducing like these sleeping zombies, like have like a pipe burst or something like that. Like have a spray bullet, stray bullet, like hit a pipe that causes water to go and right. Then, like you have to deal with the fact that the sprinkler system in the entire casino starts reanimating all these zombies you just killed. Like there's so many ways you could have done that. Like and to your point, like that's a cool concept and like you even get into something like in the previews in the marketing we see this this character vanderhoe who has this awesome saw yes that he uses to kill zombies and we get it in the first eight minutes when they introduce him yep we get it in a montage at the beginning and then When he joins up with the crew, he goes and digs it up. Like he buried it. Like it was something that he wanted to forget and like digs it up. You know, the classic, I'm going to go get my weapons scene. I'm going to get my cool stuff. Yeah. He tells what's his name, not to touch it, that that's his. And you know, we're expecting, we're going to see this guy use this saw in some badass ways. He never even touches it in any way. He, when they have to cut a hole in the wall, he's not even the person that grabs it and cuts a hole in the wall. Like he never uses it. And it's like, why tease this? It'd be like, I don't know who's a character with an iconic weapon. Like it's, it's like if, someone... if the bride never did a sword fight with her, hattori Hanzo sword. Or if Donatello got into a fight and didn't use his bow staff or, or hey, something that's, like that. That so that it's funny. That's,
0: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 they didn't use their weapons I don't know if you need to revisit Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 but so they could get a PG rating Leonardo didn't use the swords it's it's like it's so dumb that they spend he's on the poster holding it and he never once uses it nope it's insane it's insane that that happens and there are just, it is incredibly sloppy. It's crazy to me that th- that this is the same guy who made um, da- the, the Dawn of the Dead remake because that movie is so tight and focused and that movie has really interesting concepts and rules and this is just so sloppy. Like everyone dies because they're stupid. Everyone makes decisions because they're stupid. Nothing makes any sense. It's... I, I don't, I just don't understand, like, I I, I I, don't know. I don't know. I'm at a loss. And that leads me to my last question, David, which is, are you interested in the expanding Army of the Dead universe? The potential yeah,
1: of it. Well, and let's make sure and mention that supposedly this isn't even potential. Supposedly there's a, an anime series coming out um, called Army of the Dead Lost Vegas, There's a prequel film called army of thieves that's supposed to center around our safe cracker. And you know, this definitely feels like something that is like, you know, what's the only other reason that you could have all these unanswered questions is because you're banking on the fact that you're going to get to tell more stories potentially. And again, that's still not a good excuse for making a crappy movie that leaves a bunch of questions unanswered, but like, I guess if in your head, you're like, I'm going to be expanding on this two, three, four more times then I guess. Okay. Like maybe, maybe, maybe at the end of all of it, everything will make sense. And the things that were glaring holes in this movie will be answered. But like, do we really think there's going to be another one of these? Like, I guess Netflix has money to throw around that. It's true. Maybe you could see them doing it again. Maybe you could even see them doing, but like this screams of a movie that, like nine of the characters that we had in here that were central to it are not going to be in the next one. Like, well, yeah, they
0: all literally everyone dies. So if you do make a sequel, who's going to be in it and it better not be the daughter because she sucks.
1: Yeah. And like
0: army of thieves is in the can. It's done. Like it is, it finished filming.
1: And Uh, in defense of that, it was apparently the actor that played that character. Basically. Pitched it, pitched it, yeah. Directed it, did uh, basically all the work behind getting it done, and it comes off as it's not like this is a movie you're going to end up seeing in theaters. Like no. Army of Thieves is not going to be a movie that you're seeing it's out like there. An, like it's like an internet exclusive, internet exclusive, Amazon
0: Prime, something like that. Like like the the arm the, the anime that they're making, they got Joe Manganiello or man man Manganiello, Joe Manganiello. They have him doing a voice. They have Christian Slater doing a voice. They have freaking Vanessa Hudgens, Jenna Malone doing voices. And it's just like, I don't know, man. Like you said, maybe when all is said and done, they'll close some of the plot holes that were in this movie. And maybe they won't. But, like, it just is such a weird bet. And it just feels like such a weird thing to do. And, like, if it's on Netflix, like, I guess I'll watch it just to be, like, morbidly curious about it. But I just I am fascinated with the people who continue giving Zack Snyder money because.
1: And the amount of money and the amount of screen time that they give him, like, like, it's crazy to me. It's like, here's here's two hundred million dollars, Zack Snyder. Make whatever
0: movie you want to make. No matter what the subject is, it'll be three hours. You want three hours worth of superheroes? Cool. You want three hours worth of zombies? Cool. This movie is the antithesis. It's literally the anti-Those Who Wish Me Dead, which was an hour and 40 minutes, had really smart characters doing really smart things, and was very, very satisfying with very little plot holes. This is the total opposite of all of it. It just, I don't know. I guess I'll be there if it's on Netflix. I'm a subscriber. It's not going to cost me anything,
1: right? Well, and I think, you know, I would also say that, you know it's like we've said like it's one thing to make a movie that has issues like we don't come into zombie movies expecting like an oscar winning sure you know script and everything to make sense in that but like when you constantly break the rules that you've established when you constantly Ask questions or present questions, but do not answer them at any point when you constantly remind yourself of remind your audience of the mistakes that you're making throughout this. Like, it's impossible to walk away from it feeling good about it. And yeah,
0: you just walk away frustrated and angry.
1: Yeah. I mean, we sat outside the theater and talked for like 40 minutes <laughs> and, after and this midnight. Not, and this is not a movie that I would normally say that i would want to stand outside talking like usually you talk about movies that you really enjoyed for a long time not movies that just drove you mad
0: yeah it's it's something and at the risk of having this podcast be its own army of the dead runtime, like i'm on the i'm on the reddit right now just looking at the conversations and literally like they're all saying the same thing and yet it's got a 76 percent audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I I don't know. I listen, love what you love. If you love this movie, man, awesome. Like more power to you. If you've listened to this podcast for this long and you think we're insane, like, cool. I'm, I'm glad you live in your world, but boy, was it a miss for me? Uh, So we're going to, I think we'll probably put a pin in it there. Uh, And, but before we do, obviously, I want to remind everybody that you can get free episodes of the popcorn diet wherever you listen to podcasts, just search for the popcorn diet, hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button, take a second, hit the button, share the popcorn diet with your other good movie buddies. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Consider becoming the patron of an independent movie podcast at a time when movies desperately need our support. That's patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter at the popcorn diet And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest episodes, articles, and more on our website, PopcornDietPodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time with another good movie on the popcorn diet. Adios.